0: Welcome to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish.
1: Hello and welcome to another Flying Solo Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget, if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a little comment for us on iTunes. It's ever so helpful. And I should tell you that it's uh, absolutely crazy, manic webinar season on Flying Solo at the moment, in case you haven't noticed. We've got so many terrific webinars running, in fact, pretty well throughout the rest of this year. So be sure to grab yourself a spot. Um, You can attend a webinar for free if you're a member of Flying Solo. Just pop to flyingsolo.com.au forward slash webinars. And uh, hopefully we'll see you at one soon. Okay, now look, my guest today is Robin Hayden, a good friend, someone I have not seen for a number of years. Robin is uh, on a mission, in her own words, to bring creativity, energy, and enthusiasm back to the process of winning and serving high-value business customers. Mm -hmm. That sounds pretty relevant. She's the author of three books. The first is Winning Again, a retention game plan for your most important contracts and customers. And the Australian Institute of Management bestseller, The Shredder Test, a step by step guide to winning proposals. So it's those two books, plus now her latest book, Value How to Talk About What You Do So People Want to Buy It. How awesome. Robin, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me, Robert. It's an absolute pleasure.
1: Well, good. Well, look, so this new book, Value, I mean, it sounds absolutely um, right up the street of any soloist. Particularly those obviously who are in the sort of professional services space uh, in any shape or form. So generally, how how do you think our soloists are doing when it comes to achieving value for our services?
2: Probably not as well as 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 most people would like. I think is the short answer. Mm. Um, I think that you know when you embark on a solo career, you have great aspirations of what you would like to do and the kind of people that you would like to do it with, and probably the kind of income that you want to generate from your efforts as well. And one of the challenges that I see soloists facing as they as they embark on this journey, and particularly as they get a little bit further in, is how do I actually get paid what I'm worth? And how do I help people to understand that they actually need my help? And it is one of the big challenges, particularly for people who are experts, as you said, people in professional services mm. or indeed any type of service when you're having to sell something that the customer doesn't actually understand all that well.
1: Yeah, look, I think that's so true. And it's interesting, you know, we, we as you as you know, we, we run our survey every couple of years and always mm. at the top of this list is um, of, of kind of hot buttons, things that are keeping people awake as... Finding enough clients and having enough revenue and time and time again when I actually sit down and talk to somebody it's it's so often it's actually not about getting more customers so much as uh, as getting value from the ones you already have or ensuring Mm. that you know when you do approach someone you or someone new approaches you that you actually seize the opportunity and you know get the transaction or get the uh, the gig at the right kind of rate so you know you talk in your um, in your book about the first thing you have to do is kind of convince these potential customers that they actually need your help. So, mm. where you know, where do we start with all this? Let's say someone's already in their solo business, they've maybe been doing it for a little while and, and hearing you speak there, they're thinking, yes, 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 this is me, this is me. Where, <laughs> where do we start?
2: Where do we start? Well, probably the most useful first place to start is to actually try and put yourself in the other person's shoes just for a minute and imagine that, you know, just for a minute that you didn't understand um, what it is that that you do and you were looking at it for the first time. One of the big challenges that we have, particularly in services businesses, is that what we sell is quite intangible. Mm. So unlike products, you know, where you can pick it up, touch it, feel it, turn it over and experience it in some way, with services, often the the value that people experience from a service isn't actually felt until they're on the other side of it and they've already bought, committed and and paid for it. So the first question I would ask um, a soloist who's in this position is just to to look at what they do and ask the question, is what I do intangible? Is it hard for the customer to understand? Because the the risk that that, of course, raises for the person who's on the other end of that buying transaction who might want to buy from you is if I don't understand this, how do I know Mm. that I'm going to get the value that was promised and and how do I know that this isn't going to be a painful experience?
1: Yeah, and look, and I guess, you know, it's kind of tied in with that is when you are, you know, for those that are working by themselves, and clearly we know a lot of our audience are, Mm. is how do you actually kind of step back from your own offering and be able to determine, is this clear? I mean, is it possible for... Someone to do when you're kind of in the midst of it? I mean, I can imagine you coming in as an outsider and pulling it apart. How do we do it ourselves?
2: Yes, it is possible to do once you understand the framework and that's actually the reason why I wrote this book uh-huh. because, of course, this is what I do for people. So, uh-huh. you know, as a business development consultant, I go and work with um, companies, usually large companies who are competing for really big contracts, things that are worth between $5 million and a $100 million, and that they have to go through competitive bids and tenders. And I think people understand that it's worth having a sounding board, you know, when you've got something like that on the table. but. You know, this is something that you can actually do for yourself once you see the framework um, and you can even help other people to do this as well. So as soloists, one of the things that I recommend people do is to find a friend or a coach or somebody who can um, ba- you can bounce ideas off and mm. they will often be able to see the value in what you do much more easily than you will yourself. But in the book, there's a, there's a six-step framework mm. um, to identifying what buyers value and some of these attributes are probably a little bit different to what people actually think so that's a good starting point
1: yeah look and I I, I totally get that and again it's it's so difficult isn't it when you are in the business and you kind of you know what you know and you know all the work that you've done to get where you've got and all the training that you've done all the learning that you've done all the experience that you've got and then to try and kind of translate that into language that resonates with people my goodness that it can be such a challenge. i never forget a, a, a talk I did with a group of um, alternative health practitioners. And I asked them, you know, <clears> just went a quick round the, round the room, tell me what you do. I don't think I understood any of them. You know, no. but <laughs> they and gorgeous, lovely people with wonderful talents, I'm sure, but just not able to do it in an engaging way. So you say there absolutely is a framework. And I think you've hinted at it there that one of the things is, mm. is getting perhaps someone outside to have a good look. So kind of where to next? Let's imagine that we've, you know, we've done that. We're starting to immerse ourselves in this kind of this new reality that, "Hmm, okay, I need to position a bit differently. How then, you know, kind of where do we go to after that?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well... (laughs) anyone who buys anything um, basically buys with three things they buy with their gut mm. they buy with their head and they buy with their heart and they actually do it in that order and one of the reasons why I wrote value was to help people to understand that as sellers of something um, as sellers of a service we often start with the heart we start with the aspirational attributes the things that we see can be done better and smarter <laughs> than mm. what the customer is currently doing but the customer who doesn't currently recognise that they've got a problem, they kind of live in that visceral category. They talk about things like cost and risk. So, can you do it cheaper? Can you Mm. do it safer. And so that's where we need to start in looking at, at what we offer um, and helping the customer to understand what their costs are. One of the biggest objections that I get, and I had this issue this morning, I was doing a proposal writing workshop um, with a team in the facility management industry. And they were saying, look, customers are always asking us to cut back our price. It's an industry which is um, quite easy to commoditize or buyers think that it is. But as that discussion emerged, there were a lot of things that they mentioned that were creating costs for their customers that those customers weren't aware of, that if they could only make them aware of, they would help to understand why the fee is what it is. So it's not just about the cost of acquisition. It's not just about the purchase price. It's about what what are all of those other things that, that your customers are doing that are, you know, costing them time, costing them money, making things overly complex for them that you can resolve, problems that you can resolve for them.
1: Yeah okay. So again the onus is on us as the mm. uh, as the the service provider to begin that conversation is what you're saying. I guess what you're kind of indicating there is if it if if we allow a conversation to go straight to pricing then we've kind of we've missed a trick.
2: Yeah, I think so. And in in my experience in working with people who are going after really big deals, if the first conversation that you have with a customer is about price, what that generally means is that they don't get it. Mm. So, they don't actually see the value. So, they're just thinking, well, if I have to buy this, how can I buy it as cheaply as I possibly can? Um, And that's not usually the best (laughs) conversation. No, of course not. Yeah.
1: Look, like You, you yeah. mentioned a few moments ago that, that basically people buy um, for three reasons, or well, they buy with, through their gut, their head or their heart. And what yep. you said, I think, was that as providers, we often lead with a sort of heart message, whereas what you're suggesting, yep. I think, is that we need to respond to the gut side of things a bit more but how does that manifest you know i'm thinking maybe i'm being a bit too simplistic but if i'm thinking of a of a of a an independent professional someone who's got a a website where do which might be the first place people end up when they're kind of Mm. doing some research any thoughts just on how does where where does the appealing to the gut kind of show up in that context
2: in that context okay Mm. no that's a good question um i think what's probably... first important to clarify is why the gut is so important as a decision making engine in this process essentially um, and when I started researching this topic I didn't know much about it but I certainly do now Um, the the gut is kind of considered like a second brain um, in the body because of the Mm. way that it operates there's this very complex network of neurons and chemicals that are in the gut that are constantly sending messages up to our brains and we talk about gut feelings Mm. um, as sometimes giving us very good direction as to whether we should go somewhere or not go there. And it was um, Deepak Chopra, who a lot of people would be aware of um, as a New Age Mm. author. He's actually a neuroendocrinologist, um, so uh, he's a doctor, and he said that gut feelings are in essence every cell in your body making a decision. So when you get a gut feeling that something's safe or it's not safe or I should do it or I should not do it, that's why we listen. So when someone's looking at your website, what they're probably first doing like from a visceral perspective is does this person pass the sniff test? <laughs> <laughs> you know, does does this smell like, you know, it's a very visceral mm. reaction. Something smells smell good, does it smell bad? So if there's something that seems inauthentic or that is hard to believe about the way that you're selling yourself, that will turn them right off. Yeah, okay. So it's, it's it's the authenticity of your message and um, how well you're addressing issues like risk. So one of the most important things that you can do on your website, because it's not a cost thing, you're not talking about prices probably in a lot of cases, yep. is to think about social proof, case studies, testimonials, how can I get things like that up? up there that will reassure a customer that I'm not a risk
1: yeah that's that's such so clearly put thank you and uh, I I totally get that it's interesting when you often when you hear people talking about gut feelings you kind of think, well, that must mean when you're face-to-face. But it it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't, does it? You know, people do start to get something straight away. And I love the way that you describe there about the, you know, some of the things that we need to have on our websites. So often these days, websites are just shiny and new and bright and sparky. Whereas it it just, I mean, which in their own right, probably have a degree of importance. But more important Mm. in there is that we are... Ticking off some of those little mental boxes that are feeding our potential customers' gut, if, yeah. I'm, if I'm using my analogies right, um, yeah. And you social you proof, producer. such a good, such a good one. Mm. Mm. Okay, yeah,
2: look, it absolutely is. Yes, All sorry, right. go So ahead. that's okay.
1: So that that's talking about the gut side of things. And then, you know, you, yes. you talk then talk about the head. So again, I'm just going to kind of carry on with that process if, if that works for you. So let's say that we we have had a fresh look at what we're doing. We're going, okay, maybe just maybe I'm not actually um, sort of satisfying what, what people might be looking at from a gut instinct. So what about a head instinct? What are you looking for there or what is the customer looking for there?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, when we're talking about value, we need to make sure that we're covering all the bases. So we need to be going gut head and heart or mm. in that order. Yep. But the head is important, but I think that many of us overemphasize logic because it is the primary language of business and commerce. So we tend to think that when we've got a logical case or a business case for something that it will happen. But often that's not the case. And, um, you know, through the work that I've done with, you know, large buyers and people who are selling to large buyers, I've actually learned a lot about how people buy things, including why they say no to offers that might otherwise seem to make perfect logical sense. So I think we need to, the first message, is we need to be careful not to be over-reliant on what we consider to be the business case for doing something. We need to capture the gut and we need to capture the heart as well. But having said that, the logical category covers two things. It's how can I do things faster? Because people value productivity. So, how can you help customers to do things in a way that gives them back some of their time um, and their, their personal space? And the other thing that you can look at in the logic category is complexity. So, how can I make things simpler for my customers? You know, we're all drowning Mm. um, under a vast raft of information these days. And as an expert, you can unravel that and make that simpler in a way that makes sense for a customer. Where experts and and service professionals often fall down is that they feel like they have to assert their authority Mm. to a customer by making things, Yeah, yeah, quite complex. And in fact, the opposite is true.
1: Mm, that's such a good point so again that might sort of translate on a on a a website or in a proposal to walking people through in detail here's what i do at this stage here's what the process is it's just making things It's really laying things out isn't it now you you said to me before we started recording that interestingly since i've known you you've kind of um, not exactly switch, but you've expanded your business in that in that whereas initially you might have worked most of your time with the independent professionals you're now increasingly working with the organizations to help them understand how to better uh, interact with consultants and with independent people so that mm. that must be a fasc- fascinating thing to start with and what yeah, what is. sort of things do you Do you kind of, you know, what surprises you still from the other side of things? You know, when you're there on the client side, um, what's, you know, being an independent person yourself, are there any things that sort of jump out that that surprise you as the way that sort of corporates and bigger companies think?
2: Yeah, I mean, probably because I've spent so much of my life working with suppliers, whether they're independent professionals or big corporations, trying mm-hmm. to help them sell things um, to people. Working on the buyer side is a little bit of a revelation because all my life, I suppose, I've heard people complain about how awful buyers are, right. and you know the onerous hoops that they make us jump through. But um, what I what I'm seeing now more and more is where that comes from and why they why they can be so difficult to, to deal with and I, I can probably boil it down to, to a, a single factor and that is fear. Hmm. And lack of trust, You know the way the buying system works with competitive tendering, it's all very arm's length. So, buyers and sellers are quite a long way apart and because we lack the personal relationships that we used to have in business, there is a lack of trust there which makes it hard for us to sell stuff to them, but it also Mm. makes it hard for them to get the things done that they need to get done. So, we really need to fix this. That's why I'm doing that kind of work now.
1: Yeah, okay. So… And I guess that also explains why, you know, on a number of occasions, people will work with suppliers they know because the trust is there, which makes it, of course, that much harder for, you know, for someone new to break in. And presumably Mm -hmm. the fear side of things is often, you know, sort of what what I observe these things is often that the person who's um, actually enrolling or giving you the contract then has to go back and say to hers or his superiors, you know, I've made this decision, and this is the right decision. Because is that is that what a lot of the fear is?
2: Yeah, it is. Mm. I mean, I don't think that we can ever underestimate how difficult it is for a person to stick their neck out and put their head on the chopping block for us by saying, "Yes, you should hire Robin because she's the best person for this job." Um, there's a story that I tell in my contract retention class um, about about colonoscopies. Oh, and, lovely!
1: Um, Do share <laughs> I it. Know,
2: It's great. Well, there was this study that was done in America. They were trying to figure out what people's memory of pain was. um, And it was Daniel Kahneman, and and he's a Nobel Prize winner, and he set up this experiment. In America, colonoscopies are an unanesthetized procedure. So, give thanks nice. that it's not that way here yes. i know right so people love this story um but what he found was that people don't actually look back at their whole experience and evaluate us based on that they will evaluate their memory of the experience based on the last few minutes so he changed the way this colonoscopy procedure was done and found that for people for whom the experience ended pleasantly they've they reported feeling far less pain. And I think that we underestimate what Mm. it feels like for a buyer to have a supplier come in and do a piece of work for them. Sometimes for them, it does feel like being operated on without an anaesthetic. And we need to be a bit more mindful of that before we go kind of charging in and, and upsetting things as to how that feels for them and what a risk they're taking.
1: Yeah, well said. And at least make sure that the last 10 minutes is good.
2: Yes, that's right. Especially if you want to be engaged again.
1: Yeah. Look, Robin, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. So look, the book again is value how to talk about what you do. So people want to buy it. Um, It does sound like a really great read. And uh, I know my copy is, is hurtling its way towards me. And I look forward to reading it. So for those who'd like to find out more, where should we go, Robin?
2: you can buy this um, book from my website it's um, com. so that's r-o-b-y-n-h-a-y-d-o-n dot com forward slash buy forward slash that is the bookshop
1: okay fantastic well look Robin thanks again for spending so your time thank you I know it's um, it's been a number of years that you were speaking at one of our events I think way back in I don't know 2009 or something and we loved you then and we love you now so uh, it's been great having you here and um, I look forward to talking to you again thank you
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo and your host, Robert Gerrish. We'd love to receive feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes. If you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo, How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at
2: flyingsolo.com.au.